For those of you that remain in the auditorium and are also watching online, take your Bibles if you would, and we are heading into Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, the first 11 verses is the plan for this morning. Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. We now begin what might rightly be seen as the greatest chapter in the New Testament, perhaps the greatest chapter in the Bible. Paul has been building his case to come to this crescendo here in chapter 8. As we know, he is writing to Christians in the city of Rome, some of whom are Jewish, having been allowed back into the city within the last few years before Paul writes the letter, as well as Gentile Christians. It is to this mixed group of believers that he is writing. The Jews certainly are aware of and have lived under and are still attempting in some ways to live up to the law. The Gentiles in Rome no doubt have been influenced by the Jews, Jews who first brought the message of the gospel to Rome after hearing it preached by Peter on the day of Pentecost and have been influenced by these Jews prior to that through the synagogue and other forms of worship. It is to this group of individuals that is in some way still relying on the law for salvation, still relying on the law for righteousness, still attempting to earn their relationship with God and to pay him back for forgiving them of their sins that Paul writes. And therefore, it is to us that he writes. Follow along with me then, if you would, Romans 8, verses 1 through 11, and Paul certainly starts with a bang. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. This is the word of God. Our greatest desire as humans is to be fully known and fully loved. We fear that if we are fully known, we will not be fully loved. If people knew us, 
the real us, the things that go on inside of our hearts and our minds that nobody else sees or knows. If they knew who we really were, would they actually love us? Conversely, we are loved, but we do fear that that love might not be based then on knowledge and therefore is somewhat or to that degree superficial. But in Christ, we are fully known and fully loved. God knows more about us than we even know about ourselves. He is aware of all of our sins, past, present, and future, the sins that we have forgotten we committed, the sins we are hoping no one finds out about, and the sins we have yet to commit that we do not know about because they are in the future. God knows it all and loves us more than we could possibly hope for in Jesus Christ. And so liberation is the theme for this morning. That is the title of the sermon, and we find in verse 1 the liberating truth. This is a truth that we should memorize, that we should have somewhere in our homes, perhaps somewhere readily available. There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What is the therefore, therefore, as we say? It is therefore the argument that Paul has made from the first part of this letter up to and including chapter 7. He is not, though, talking specifically or primarily about the struggle that he has outlined for us in verses 7 through 25. It is true that we are, if we are in Christ, justified. We are declared by God to be righteous. It is also true that one day we will be glorified, removed from sin's presence as we have been saved from sin's penalty. But in the messy, mushy, dark middle, in the already not yet, we are in the process of sanctification, being set apart and being progressively removed from and freed from the power of sin. It is to that that Paul has drawn our attention in 7, 7 to 25. But he wants now to give the overall statement that because of the work of Jesus Christ, there is no condemnation now for those that are in him. Which means that because of Christ's cross work, we will never at any point stand condemned before God and be the recipients of his settled disposition against sin. We will not anymore feel his wrath or his judgments, but instead we will only feel his love and affection. We have moved from being his enemies to not only being his friends, but being his sons and daughters. So there is no future judgment coming, but also packed into this word is the reality of present judgment. Far too often in our day-to-day lives, we live as though our actions, especially our sinful ones, are going to be the recipients of God's condemnation. And we fail to realize that there is therefore now no condemnation, past, present, or future, to those who are in Christ Jesus. That is an amazing, liberating truth. We are not under God's judgment that has been meted out on Jesus on the cross, and it has been accepted, and we know that because of the resurrection, which means that we now live in freedom. John will say, there is a perfect love, he will say, sorry, casts out fear. What kind of fear? The fear of judgment. The fear of judgment is God because perfect love has cast that out. We are fully known and fully loved because of Jesus Christ. 
Now we see in verses 2 through 4 God's liberating work. He's going to now unpack this for us. and We see all three members of the Trinity actively involved in this redemption and reconciliation, this salvation. Notice in the first place he brackets it with the Spirit. The Spirit is at the first and then he's also sort of at the tail end. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Paul's given a lot of ink already to this reality. That we were under the law of sin and death. This law or principle is that which means that if we try to do our best, if we are looking to ourselves for salvation, if we are counting on our righteousness as being righteous enough, that is the way of sin and the way of death. Mixed in with that is the reality of the Mosaic law, which he says has become for us sin and therefore death. The law mixed with our hatred of restriction has actually increased, not decreased our sin. To those Christians in Rome who are looking to the law as a way to get closer to God, to do better, to try harder, to be more righteous, Paul says this freeing statement, that is not the way of freedom, that is not the way of redemption and forgiveness and love, that is the way of, of death. Stop looking to the law to free you. The law cannot free you, it was never intended to do so. We are free in Christ by the Spirit. So that which formerly to us was sin and death, Paul says now, the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus. Where before you were attempting to please God and could not, now you want to please God and can because of what he has done in Christ. There is a famous saying, there are a number of ways in which it has been put, John Bunyan says, Run, John, run, the law commands, but gives us neither feet nor hands. Far better news the gospel brings. It bids us fly and gives us wings. Ralph Erksine, a Scottish preacher from 1685 to 1752, is probably the originator of this phrase where he says, A rigid matter was the law, demanding brick and denying straw. But when with gospel tongue it sings, it bids me fly and gives me wings. This is the reality of the spirit of life. It provides for us that which it demands. It gives us the grace whereby we can be who God created us to be. The law did not and could not do that. Notice that in the second place, then the father does what the law could not. What does he say? 3a, for the God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. God calls his nation Israel out of Egypt, gathers them together in the wilderness, and gives to them his commands, his law. What a beautiful gift, Paul has said in chapter 7. This is not a condemnation. This is not a curse. This was a gift from God. This is what relationship with me looks like. As you repent and believe in me, this is what will happen in your life. This is the outworking of it. And yet, what had Israel done with the law? They had gravitated to it and latched onto it as a means to gain relationship with God and maintain that relationship, and that was not its intent, and it cannot do that. In fact, Paul has said to us, the opposite is true. We see a sign that says, don't walk on the grass. What do we want to do? And what time, oftentimes do we do? We walk on the grass. We don't like restriction. We don't like fences. The grass is greener on the other side. What is this thing that I cannot do? I will do it. 
It will bring me happiness and pleasure and joy and comfort. And it will not. So the law could not save, but God the Father has done something greater. What has he done? He's given us Jesus. Notice in the third place, the Son and the great exchange. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. There's a lot here. What did God do when he sent Jesus Christ the Son? First of all, he sent him in the likeness of sinful flesh. You notice there that he does not simply say he sent him as a sinner. He sent him in sinful flesh as if Jesus Christ was sinful. Jesus Christ was not sinful. He could not sin. He did not sin. He is perfect God and holy God and perfect humanity. And yet... He is in the likeness, not in the sense that he just seemed to be human, but wasn't really human, because if Jesus Christ is not fully human, we have no hope. He is not our representative. Conversely, if he is not fully God, we also have no hope because he is not perfect. Therefore, he is more like us than he is like God, and we also have no hope. The only way we have hope is because Jesus Christ is 100% God, 100% human. He is one of us, and yet so much more and so much better than us. He is the perfection that God calls us to be, and He is that on our behalf. So, what does it mean? He's in the likeness of sinful flesh. His human flesh was just like ours in the sense that it was under the effects of the curse. Jesus Christ was tired, He was hungry, He was thirsty. The human flesh that He took on, although not sinful in and of itself, and He was never sinful in it was marked by the effects of sin, and he bore that for us. All of the limitations, all of the effects of the curse, Jesus Christ bore on our behalf. And he did that for sin. Because of sin, Jesus Christ came. We could not save ourselves. And this plan that we had to save ourselves from the outside in could not work. We needed to be redeemed and transformed from the inside out. And that is why Jesus Christ came. Notice God condemns sin in the flesh. Jesus Christ on the cross bears the sin of the world in his own body on the tree, Scripture says. He made Christ a sin offering for us. He poured all of his wrath, his settled disposition against sin, he poured that all on Jesus Christ. So that Jesus Christ could say, it is finished. And it was. And then what does that do in us in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walked not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit? This is not to say that the work of Jesus Christ was somehow incomplete, but it is to say that when the Jesus Christ meets someone, he transforms them from the inside out. And our continued being set apart, our continued sanctification is proof positive that we have the Spirit in us. Because only the Spirit can change us. And we know that, if we're honest. Paul could tell them in Rome, uh, you guys think that you are zealous for the law, I've got you all beat. You think you have an education, mine's better. You think you did stuff for God, for Yahweh, for Jehovah, I did more. You want to go toe-to-toe, law-to-law, I've got you beat. And I'm here to tell you that cannot save. Because Jesus met me. I was on my way to Damascus. 
to gather anybody who named the name of the way, the one who is the truth, the way, and the life, Jesus Christ, all of these followers of the blasphemer, and yet I met him, or better, he met me and said, Saul, Saul, why are you pushing back against the goads? Why are you pushing back against relationship with me? I am Messiah. I am the one promised. I am your Savior and your Lord. Follow me. Paul was never the same. And I pray to God that we have not been and are not either. <laughs> so that is all of the things that the Son did because of the Father. And now you notice in the rest of verse 4, the Spirit gives life and obedience. Where does this desire to serve God, to please God, to model His character, where does that come from? It comes from the Spirit. The Spirit then it frees us from sin and death but then empowers and enables us to live out obedience and righteousness in our lives. He's the one that transforms us, changes us from the inside out. It is not the deadness of the law that we attempt to follow from the outside in. It is the power of God through Jesus Christ by the Spirit in us so that we follow him from the inside out. So we find this liberating truth that we are fully known and fully loved in Jesus Christ by the Spirit. We find the work of God in the Trinity, and then we notice in the third place the gifts that come as a result of that. In the first place, we see a freed mind, a liberated mind in verses 5 through 8. Those who set their mind on the flesh set their mind on that which is death. The mind that is set on the flesh is hostile for God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, Paul says, it cannot submit to God. Our actions spring forth from that which we believe, from that which we desire. And our society promises to us utopia. Follow our way. Get woke. Follow our way of affirming everything and anything that anybody comes up with. Follow our way because it's the way to life and fulfillment. And because it is a way that is hostile to God... It will only bring death. It cannot please God. It is an attempt to be God apart from God. It is an attempt to replace God with us. It cannot work. It will not work. It is hostile to God and it is a mind of death. And all of us had that mindset prior to Christ introducing himself to us prior to Christ meeting us. That was our mindset. Even those things that we were doing that were good were not done for God's glory. They were done for us. Our mind was set on the things of the flesh. We were making ourselves God. We were rebel sinners pushing back against God's restrictions and because of that we were on our way to eternity in hell. But notice what God has done through the Spirit. Those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. We are given a new mind, a mind that is freed to understand who God is, to understand the way that He has created things to be. We are told that those who follow Christ are closed-minded. Nothing could be further from the truth. Because only in Jesus Christ are our minds truly opened. We are told that, that Christians are those that are against the truth. 
Again, nothing could be further from the truth for those who know God, know truth. Because Jesus said, I am the truth. And God said, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. We need a new mind, a freed mind. And only in Christ are our minds truly free to know and love truth, capital T. Notice in verse 9, this beautiful verse, Paul says to them, How you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. And if, in fact, could also be translated from the Greek, since the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Conversely, anyone who does have the Spirit of Christ does belong to him. And he's going to say more about this in verse 16. But notice this unbreakable belonging. We have been separated from God by our own actions by our own desires but in Christ through the spirit we have been reunited to God and so the spirit of God dwells in us and we have the spirit of Christ we belong to God and therefore we act like him not perfectly but baby step by baby step, we begin to exude who He is, the Spirit of God, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, meekness, self-control. These things begin to become more a part of who we are. The greatest thing about you that you need to have settled is who are you, and if you are in Christ, that's who you are. this unbreakable belonging, this reconnection to the one who created us. Notice in verse 10, life-giving righteousness. If Christ or since Christ is in you, if you are in Christ, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness, it is true that our bodies are, are dying. Because of sin's effects, they are decaying. And perhaps as you have been on this earth longer than others, you feel those effects more so than others. But Paul says, even though the outward body, the flesh is weak and it's dying, we have been redeemed, we have been regenerated, we have life. God's righteousness, Jesus Christ's righteousness on our behalf gives us life. We know who we are. We know what we're supposed to be doing and we know to whom we are going when all of this is over. Christ gives us, the Spirit gives us, He is life because of the righteousness in us. One of the greatest joys I have is anywhere I've gone in the world, when you meet a fellow believer in Jesus Christ, you almost instantaneously know it. The Spirit is evident. There's something different. You meet somebody who's actually alive. Now everybody you meet hopefully is alive, but there's a different type of life than someone who has the Holy Spirit of God, the same Holy Spirit of God that resident within us if we are in Him. doesn't matter if there's a language barrier, cultural barrier, or any other barrier. Jesus Christ breaks through all of that, and there's life there in a way that is recognizable and noticeable, and it knits us together as family. And then notice this type of life is both abundant and eternal if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. This is life abundant in this life and also life 
glorified in the life to come. Our hope is in the resurrection, but our hope is also in the here and now. Because of Jesus, the Holy Spirit of God, God raised Jesus to life from the dead. That same power, that same life is in us if we are in Christ. Therefore, our life in the here and now is so abundant. Our eyes and our minds are open. We can see reality. Not clouded by all of the lies and the falsehoods and deception of, of the things around us. We know things like that we're not ultimately citizens of this island or this country. We're citizens of heaven along with Abraham and others who look for a city whose foundations were built by God. That's where we're going. That's our true citizenship. We know all of these things to be true. We have life abundant in this life and we have hope of life in the life to come. All of those things because of Christ. And so in Christ... We are forgiven, loved, and free. We are fully known, but we are also fully loved. And we are actually forgiven in Christ. When Christ said it is finished, he meant it. When God says that all of our sins, past, present, and future, were taken on Christ, he meant it. And therefore, we are free. Free from the hamster wheel of attempting perfection, free from the binding of the law that only makes sin worse in our lives, free from attempting to try harder, do more, and do it better, free now knowing who we are in Christ and free then to model him to show forth his character in everyday lives. His power is resident in us. He is resident in us in, through the Spirit. In this chapter alone, Paul uses the word Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, probably, I think, uh, I don't know how, at least over 20 times, and he's only used the word Spirit as in Holy Spirit twice thus far. This is, he is the third member of the Trinity, the life that is in us. And so these are the realities in front of us, this liberating truth that there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Because of the work of the Trinity, and it's made to bear, all these gifts are given to us because of Jesus Christ through the Spirit. In Christ, we are loved, forgiven, and free. Let us be grateful for that, live that out, and tell everybody we can about it. It is the greatest news there is. Let's look to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, I thank you for your great love for us. We are so undeserving of it. Father, you did not love us because of any righteousness in us. But you love us because of Christ's righteousness applied to us. Father, in this great exchange, the full penalty for our sin taken by Christ on the cross and his full righteousness accredited to our account. Father, I pray that everyone here this morning, moms and everyone else here and listening, would understand and walk in light of this glorious truth. Because of Christ, the love of God through Christ by the Spirit 
there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. If we have repented of our sins and are trusting in Christ alone as Lord and Savior, we have within us his Holy Spirit who frees us to become like him so that where before we were harsh, we are now loving. Before we did not care about truth and were marked by deception and lies, we now love truth. Before we held grudges, now we forgive. Before we were in despair, now we have hope. Before we were marked by hatred, and now we are known for our love. This is only possible, Father, through you. May it be real in our lives. Anyone here who does not know you, may they talk to me or the person that, they, that brought them, Father. Father, for us that do know this, may it be very real in our lives. And may we tell everybody we possibly can. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.